Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. You can learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us on Sunday mornings at El Dorado High School in the Performing Arts Center at 9 and 11 a.m. Um, welcome to our church community, particularly if you're sitting there reading your Bible right now, just like good holy folk. Uh, extra points for you. If you are new to our community, um, you can find out more about us at voxoc.com. Rhonda, your prediction for today is what? Atlanta. Atlanta? All right. Any Atlanta? By three? Ooh, tight game. Yeah, probably, huh? Um, uh, we've got something called a new to Vox dinner that's coming up in uh, a week, I think. Uh, you can register online, and that's just dinner at at uh, my wife and I's place to talk about our community and what the heck's going on and what we're trying to do uh, and why we're weird and play uh, funky music in the beginning of the service while you're walking in and why we start our services with Q and A sometimes. I missed last week um, and so I have like 10 questions to get through and this wasn't all that came in. So we have tons to do. The, the, the folks backstage are skeptical that I can get through 10 questions. And I said, sure, it'll just take an hour and it'll be fine, right? No one, you guys won't miss a thing. All right, so we're big fans of skeptics and questioners and doubters. So uh, anything you wanna talk about, text here. Sometimes we turn these into podcasts, sometimes we turn these into sermons, sometimes we turn these into quick answers, but we think there's a, a lot of power in just putting them on screen and recognizing the legitimacy of asking the question. So, number one. So sometimes they're, they're hard. First of all, that's a great question. Second of all, there are people in the world who've never seen a Star Wars movie, and I, I don't understand that. Third of all, Empire Strikes Back. All right, next. There's been a lot of talk about accepting people as they are and not judging sin. I completely agree that the church has often failed in this regard. However, speaking for myself, and I would assume for many other millennials, yes, like myself, I find the opposite temptation to be much more of an issue. Oh, that's interesting. I like to be liked. I don't want to be countercultural. I would much rather live and let live than stand firm on unpopular beliefs. Over the past few years, I've seen many of my friends change their beliefs on homosexuality, not because they were convinced by any new interpretation of Scripture, but because they didn't like being perceived as homophobic. I am making assumptions about their motives, but I'm guessing this is true for at least some people. For myself, I find the same temptation to reject unpopular doctrines merely because they are unpopular. All right, how insightful is this person? In this day and age, merely holding a countercultural belief, uh, we can be vilified even when expressed respectfully. How does one balance standing firm on truth, no matter the consequences, with being a loving example to an antagonistic world? Woo! Go millennials. Dang, all right, so one of the things, so how do you answer that? That, may, that, that could be a podcast. So let me, let me keep that open. But I think that's a very good question. And, and one of the things I found is, if I could stereotype for a moment, um, there, there, you have two generations in the church right now that have completely antithetical sets of values to each other. You have uh, boomers, and I'm stereotyping, so this is not true view, uh, you have boomers who have no problem um, condemning and judging and excluding. And you have millennials who um, 
who maybe in reaction to or maybe because of the, the, the cultural age in which we live, exactly personify the attitudes of the person that just wrote the question, right? The last thing we want to do is exclude or judge or confront. And so how do you find this middle ground? One of the things I've always prayed for myself is that I wouldn't add to or take away from the offense that is Jesus of Nazareth. Now, how you do that, that's the podcast, all right? So I think it's a fascinating question, and if you are here and you wrote that question, genius. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that you see that that's the temptation. Next. I know this is a complicated question, but why do people hate so much? What do you think? Because it's a lot easier to hate than to love. I mean, and that's why Jesus was so, that's why Jesus, the, the, the least obeyed teaching in the Bible is love your enemies, right? I mean, it's easy, and social media just adds fire to this flame. It's easy to divide, to label, to demonize. The, the amount of work it takes to be a peacemaker these days and to sit in the tension of loving people that you don't agree with who wants to do that? It's just much easier to hate. Now, there's a whole truckload more to say there. But I would say love, the kind of love that only bears Christ-like love. So Christian love is not love of people just like you. Christian community is not being with people just like you, right? The, the, the kind of love and the kind of community that only should bear the name Christian is the self-sacrificial, other-centered, ridiculously countercultural kind of love displayed by the early church and Jesus himself, correct? People really willing to live life in the mess together. It's, it's a very rare thing to see these days. Next. Hey, Mike. How do we as a church respond to Trump being our president? Well, hey, questioner. Um, I would say this, the same way we'd respond to Obama being our president or Clinton being our president or whoever could have won the election being our president in the following respect. Number one, we support where we can. Number two, we provide a, a countercultural and prophetic alternative where we cannot support. And the third thing is we do our best not to devote the best of our time and our energy to the political arguments and discussions that so dominate life these last couple of weeks. In other words, it's so easy to forget our citizenship is somewhere else, and there's a kingdom that is transnational, and that there is a movement that's far more significant than whether or not you're a fan of or whether or not you're resistant to the current administration. So on the one hand, we support what we can, we, we speak truth. That's our job. We speak truth. If good things happen, we bless good things. If not, we provide the prophetic alternative, the countercultural alternative. So we protest or, or, or we make space in the church community um, or we stand for or announce or whatever it is, but we provide the countercultural alternative where we cannot support but the biggest thing, brothers and sisters, whether you're Republican or Democrat, is to stop being defined by your Republicanness or your Democratness. There's an identity that's much bigger than that, out of which comes our political involvement. Make sense? I feel, fear sometimes 
For some of us, our American citizenship is far more important than any other way of identifying ourselves. And we just want to say, listen, this is important stuff we're talking about. But if Jesus were walking around, and we'd be, anytime people peppered him with political questions, he would just turn them into kingdom questions. And so there's this balance we have to walk. We're involved, it matters. We walk um, in, in a way that invites others to walk with us, but at the same time we realize we're a tribe of a completely different sort. Next, man, these are such good questions. I'm number five. You guys okay? Am I doing all right? Okay. How do we determine the good middle ground between building fences around the law as the Pharisees did and following the point of the law? For example, adultery versus lusting after another in your heart as Jesus talked about. Oh my word. All right, now. Right? Right? Let's go back to Star Wars. So, so, so what the Pharisees would do is that if the command was uh, do no work on the Sabbath, they would build a fence around that command and they built 39 different categories of fences in order so, so that you would be so far away from the command that there's no, you, so it would be like, okay, so what's work? Well, you can't carry enough um, ink to write two Hebrew letters. That would be carrying a burden. You can carry enough ink for one Hebrew letter. Or, I mean, it was crazy how it worked itself out. The, the heart of it initially was good. We don't want to break the command. So if the command is don't touch this table, well, then let's just make a rule that you can't come within 10 feet of the table. Or let's just make a rule that you can't even look at the table. Or let's just make a rule that you don't even pull the table out, right? This is what a lot of accountability structures are based on. And particularly in masculine expressions, dealing with sexual purity and stuff, a lot of accountability is, okay, did you lust this week or did you look at something this week? And all of that is great. The problem is this. Fences can't change human hearts. And Jesus locates the sin, the issues in the human heart. So you could have great fences, but Jesus says it's not enough just to going around not committing adultery. The issue is lust. Or it's not enough just to go around not murdering. The issue is anger, Right? So what Jesus does is he's interested in actually transforming people into his image and his likeness. Now, the fences can help with that, or they can become a point towards self-righteousness. And, what's, and, and so it's how you use the fences that's the issue. It's not whether or not they're there. One more. Dang. When engaged and waiting for the wedding night, how far is too far? Oh, I haven't had that one like since junior high. I love that. First, speaking of fences, above the neck and below the knees is what just flashed onto my screen right here. I don't, I don't know what that means. Only use that for emergencies, all right? So, first of all, I'm thrilled that you're wondering, because it's just very easy to not. Secondly, it's always interesting when the question is framed that way versus how can my relationship and engagement best flourish? You see the difference? How far is too far means, here's a line. And I, wanna, I really want to get close to that thing. And in fact, I'm going to ask several different people and go with the line that I like best. Correct? 
Again, I mean, it's fences versus heart, right? So I can give you a rule, but so what? How healthy do you want your engagement to be? I mean, that's the question. And so if you want a rule, all right, here's one. Straight out a Song of Solomon, repeated three times. Do not arouse or awaken love until it can be fulfilled in a holy way. So there were times when my wife and I were dating, we could be in the same room, and there were other times she could not be near me because she couldn't keep her hands off of me. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So the line moved. All right, one more. Let me see just seven real quick. Do angels have free will if Satan did? Evidently, at one time they did. Yes. Number eight. How can you stay motivated to look for God? Oh, dang. All right, next week. All right, I got to go. I'm I'm three minutes over. So we'll start with that one next week. You guys are crazy. And again, the point isn't great answers because you didn't get one. The point is, the point is, this is part of the faith. That this is an opposite faith. Asking, wondering, wrestling, struggling together, that's what the community does around the scriptures. And so I love this, and I love it, I love it, I love it. Another way we really try to normalize being ordinary in the highs and the lows with Jesus is we tell stories all the time. So I want to introduce you to my friend Ann. Ann, come on out. Say hello, Ann. There she is. Hello, Ann. Yes, you are on. Okay. Just hold that thing all the way up. All right. Um, I give permission if ever, anyone needs a little pregame nap to go ahead and do it right now while I, while no, I tell no, my no, story. That's the, no, that's the sermon. You <laughs> okay. get, no, they, they, they should pay attention for this. All right. If you're choosing between which to listen to, this is the far better. Well, we'll see about that. Okay. Um, I'm Ann. Um, Jesus and I go way back. Uh, I was raised in a loving Christian home where I felt about as safe and loved as a human being can feel. This is how I first met God. Through the love of family. And this is how I'm still able to hold on to a loving picture of God, despite a variety of messages I received throughout my life. There have been a handful of times in my life when I felt the atmosphere change around me, and I'm certain that I'm in the presence of God. And yet, A fair amount of time, I have no idea if he's even real. How can you say you love something if half the time you are uncertain if it even exists? My lifelong struggle of wanting to love God in a real sense, a sense that doesn't feel contrived or borrowed or trite or put on, has defined my relationship with him. Hmm. The certainty of God I saw others profess always seemed to elude me. Even though my earliest exposure to Jesus was beautiful, things became much more complicated as a adolescent Christian. Um, Through junior high and high school, church leadership was a little cliquish and set a very high bar. Um, In my young mind, there wasn't a lot of room for compromise. College presented a whole new realm of temptations, um, and I found myself doing things I knew God probably wouldn't approve of. Uh, I struggled to make sense of how to be how to be and what to do. Here I was a girl who had asked Jesus into her heart and found herself drawn to secular music, cigarettes, dive bars, and intimacy with her first real boyfriend. How how do you reconcile those those things? I often felt conflicted, weak, and a tremendous amount of guilt for the choices I was making. I wish I would have understood better then that my purity was not the only absolute thing that mattered to God, 
maybe if I had, I wouldn't have distanced myself so much from him out of shame going forward. I lived in San Francisco in my 20s, um, and at 24, Jesus was mostly on the back burner. And when I fell in love and, and married a Jewish boy named Clark, uh, uh, we will celebrate our 22-year anniversary um, this year. And during our life together, we've experienced tremendous joys and also struggled through the painful realities of autism, two miscarriages, one very late term, mm. and just general disillusionment. <laughs> For anyone who's been married, <laughs> there's a certain amount of that. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, it's true. We're speaking truth up here, aren't we? Um, okay. Marriage is hard? What? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, through the years, because of these hardships, I pulled Jesus out when I needed him. Um, my doubt followed me as I went through the motions, trying to believe, trying to connect. I didn't understand God. I got to the point where I thought, if God is really going to send some people to hell to be tortured forever, then I'm not really sure I want to be a Christian anymore. Uh, the childhood God um, that I'd known wasn't really around anymore. And it wasn't until I heard the voices of uh, Rob Bell. The, the, you know this is a safe place. <laughs> you can come up here and, and tell people you like Rob Bell. Um, Donald Miller, um, Richard Rohr, and the Liturgist podcast um, that I felt really brought back into the fold. Um, I was blown away by the idea that there were legitimate public Christian authors who were telling what I thought sounded like completely different narration than, uh, about Christianity than I had heard before. You're doing great. Thank you. <laughs> I know. The fan doesn't help. Yeah, and my shaking hands. Okay. Um, but re-entering the church culture has not been easy. Um, I felt um, not holy enough to be on the inside of a church community. Um, I'm tired of uh, trying to explain that I'm not that kind of Christian. Um, I've felt angry and at odds with some circles of Christians who have been unwelcoming or unloving towards the LGBT community. And to this day, one of my biggest struggles has been accepting the humanity of churches and their leaders. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is something I'm currently processing. Um, it's a low bar around here. It's all right. <laughs> I like it. Um, I joined Vox in hopes of finding a place to heal and forgive, also a place to see and hear Jesus free of static and unburdened of pretense. I'm mostly here alone, which is odd for me. I've been a stay-at-home mom for 18 years or so and, and have had my family around me um, to forge new, new relationships. My two teens go to their church. Um, mm. My husband of, often works on Sundays. Um, I serve on the tech team. Um, it, I've been trying to make them my little um, church community. Woohoo, tech! Go tech! Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and um, it's uncomfortable, actually, for me most of the time that I'm here, probably because I haven't had to make new friends without the rest of my family for a long time. Um, and if I'm honest, it's just odd, an odd combination of feeling um, old. Um, awkward, but also ecstatic to be in a place that I want to be very much and want to belong to. Um, I've come to accept that I've been called here, and this is my church, um, and this is what my church feels like. I'm officially midlife now, and I, I still love a dive bar, and, and I struggle with disobedience. <laughs> I still have doubts today as I stand here on stage. I've quit smoking, and I don't have boyfriends anymore since marrying Clark. Um, but without sounding unrepentant, I honestly believe there is beauty in some of the places that I veered off to. I don't know if I'd possess the same sort of compassion or understanding of people had I stayed the more disciplined road. 
I think life is messy and much of it is out of our control. And I think the holy places are all around us and sometimes not in the obvious ones. I think God is as much in the messy as the tidy and probably even more so. And that's the part of God that makes me want to love him most. But mostly, I'm immensely humbled by his consistent, never-ending pursuit of me. And while listening to a podcast recently, I heard this poem by St. Augustine. I'm just going to read real quick. Um, Late have I loved you, O beauty ever ancient, ever new. Late I have loved you. You were within me, but I was outside, and it was there that I searched for you. In my unloveliness, I plunged into the lovely things that you created, You were with me, but I was not with you. Created things kept me from you. Yet, if they had not been in you, they would not have been at all. Hmm. You called, you shouted, and you broke through my darkness. You flashed, you shone, and you dispelled my blindness. You breathed your fragrance on me. I drew in, and now I pant for you. I have tasted you, now I hunger and thirst for more. You touched me, and I burned for your peace. Thank you. Awesome. And so good. So good. All right, let's do some praying, and, uh, and then we'll do a bit of singing. And as always, uh, we try to balance expectancy in our worship with just permission to be as you are. We're not big fans of hype or fog machines, and so um, we're pretty mellow. But for those of you that are pretty devoted fans of Jesus and use your body to worship, we invite you to stand and lift your hands or do whatever. And for those of you that are like, you know, I like to worship sitting down. Fantastic. Go ahead and do that. Um, But in all things, we want to be a community where it is safe to be honest. Jesus is not interested in your pretending. And so we're okay with stories that don't have pretty red bows. And we're okay with questions Uh, And we're okay with doubts and insecurities. And so we just think Jesus, as he walked the earth, demonstrated God's heart towards those kinds of people, towards us. So let me pray. And then uh, this is our friend Maddie, and uh, she's going to lead us this morning. And so God, um, in view of your great mercy, we bring ourselves and offer ourselves to you. And we ask you, God, that you would receive us. You see the secret things in our hearts. You see the things that are hidden. You see the things about us that we don't even know about ourselves. Nothing is shocking to you. Nothing is surprising to you. And so we come honestly. And we ask you, God, that you would meet us. We thank you for Jesus of Nazareth, who reminds us what it is to be fully human, to be fully surrendered to your will who reminds us what it is to live in your kingdom and to be a part of what it is you're doing to renew the world. And so it's his name we want to lift up. It is his name and his reality and his person that we want to be conformed into. And so God, in your mercy, would you walk among us and would you meet with us now in the name of Jesus, who is our Christ, amen. Oh, I forgot my Bible. Hold on a second. Maddie, can you cover this for a second? It's somewhere. I don't know where it is. I need it, though. I don't know. Oh, it's right there. Oh, thank you. I figured that'd come in handy now for the sermon portion of our... Uh... It's not mine? 
Is it NIV? No, it's not what is it? English Standard Version? All right, just thank you anyway. Someone have a real Bible? The golden yellow. I'm just kidding, I'm really, I'm just, ah, thank you. Now this Bible goes back a ways, right here. Thank you. All right, um, so there were two other questions. That, oh, oh, there's the, my phone and my butt. Well, I'm not, no, I'm not throwing it. Um, okay. It's a tight ship. If you're new, it's a tight ship. <laughs> so thank you, Cece. Thank you, Kelly. Um, so, there were, so there were two other questions that came in that I thought, hey, this would be good to have a teaching on. So to your just deep disappointment, judgment will be postponed another week. Uh, I know, I know. But uh, instead, I want to I talk about the two, these two questions that came in. I love how this church hasn't been afraid to discuss politics. I understand praying for the current administration. But at what point do we say enough? I don't think we ever say enough to praying for them. I, I know that's not what you're saying. Was Jesus not a refugee? I'm afraid this Christian time and leadership will drive away many from the church as we alienate Muslims, immigrants, minorities, LGBTQ, etc. Uh, next question. How do I come to terms with a nation of Christians who fight for fertilized eggs as people but refuse to acknowledge refugee children as such. So I don't know if you know this. There's been a bit of conversation lately about this topic. I don't know if anyone's familiar. <laughs> Sarcastically. Um, so what I thought we'd do is I, I thought we would talk a bit about immigration. I thought we'd talk a bit about refugees. I thought we would talk about uh, all of the, the stuff that's going on in the world. And, and here's the thing, all right? The last thing I am is a policy expert, and the last thing I know is what we should do. I just know what the scriptures teach, and so I want to present what I think is the plain reading and allow the discussions about policy and, and administrations to take place other places. Great to have opinions on all that, and we're a community that has... Uh, fans of President Trump and people who are not fans of President Trump and, and we're all going to be together because the bread and the cup are more important than what your take is on what's happening in our world. And so we all are here together. So, so even though the questions are framed from a very much pro-refugee perspective, uh, I, I just want to do a bit of work about, because I'm not in charge of anything. I, I don't influence policy other than in voting or in protesting or in writing or in whatever. So I want to take the politics out of it and just say, okay, well, what, how, how does the scripture address this? And, 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 and what's well known and what everyone agrees on, whether, whether you're on either side of the political fence, uh, is that the Old Testament was so clear and its directives to care for foreigners and strangers. I mean, dozens of verses I was looking at this week. Here are just two. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Now, I know that's not a straight line from Israel ruled by God to the United States as a democracy, but when you get a glimpse of what God's heart was, 
The glimpse says, listen, God has a particular concern for the oppressed and the marginalized. All right? Next. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. Now, there's a triad. Go, uh, yeah, and then, and then of course the reason. And you are to love those who are foreigners. For you yourselves were foreigners, but go back one slide if you would. There's a triad that's all over the Old Testament. It is the fatherless, the widow, and sometimes it's the orphan, but more often than not, it's the foreigner. The most vulnerable people among you, God has a particular heart for them. And, and dozens of verses pull this off. I mean, you were, they were to have a Sabbath too. You were the third year when you would tithe, part of your tithe would go to the foreigners who were among you. When you were, when you were um, harvesting your crops, you were to leave stuff at the edges and not go over your land twice just to make sure that the poor were taken care of. And, and I, again, I realize there's not a straight line from Israel to America and what we should do. I'm just saying when you look at how Scripture presents the heart of God towards people, it is always with a particular heart towards the oppressed, to the poor, to the marginalized. So when Jesus shows up, Jesus is fulfilling not only the tradition of caring for people like this, but the prophetic tradition of critiquing Israel when Israel didn't treat people like this. So let's go to a very famous passage, Luke chapter 10. Parable of the Good Samaritan, which, you know, if you've been in church, you're like, yeah, yeah, I've heard this. Um, and that's the problem, is the scandal of it is so punched out with our familiarity to it. So I just want to remind us, when Jesus defines how we're to love people, here's what he says. If you have to choose between protection and hospitality, choose hospitality. That was his point. Now, granted, there are boundaries to this. But so often I see this whole debate framed between what we need to do to take care of our own and how far our welcome should extend to those who are not our own. And I see this when my wife called me one day and said, hey, there's this homeless guy. And uh, so I stopped and he's a young guy and so I, 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 I let him in our van and drove around with him. And I, I had a cow I had an absolute conniption because two things went together at one time, right? Number one, amazing that you're doing this, but that was quickly swallowed up by, well, what if he did something awful? What, what if he had ill intent? What if you were, what if you were murdered? And I mean, really? If I were in the car, that'd be one thing, right? But just her by herself? And so this isn't, this tension that exists Man, it's not just at a national level, it's, it's where we're all living too. But when Jesus paints what it means to love your neighbor, I mean, this is the image he uses. So, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. An expert in the law was exactly that, a theologian. On the minutia of uh, the Old Testament Torah. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is just one of the standard questions that Jewish rabbis would answer and ask each other. What is written in the law, Jesus replied, how do you read it? Now, there were debates, there were 613 commandments. Ma'am, you're gonna miss this, this is so important right here. 
There were 613 commandments in the Old Testament. And the rabbis would debate, because sometimes they would contradict each other. So the rabbis would debate which ones were heavier, more important, and which ones were lighter, less important, if they conflicted. Two predominant schools of Jewish thought in Jesus' day, Rabbi Shammai and Rabbi Hillel. They both agreed that the most important commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But they disagreed as to what commandment number two was. One of them said that the, commandment, the, the second most important commandment is be holy because I am holy. And another one said the second most important commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. So there was a disagreement about what was the second most important commandment. Be holy, be separate, stay clean, or love your neighbor as yourself. So when Jesus says to the expert teacher, well, how do you read it? How do you read the law? He's saying, okay, what order are you ranking these things in? The teacher in the law, verse 27, said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Jesus gives the same answer in Matthew 22. So, so Jesus validates that it's that. If you're going to rank them, that's number two. Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, if the man stood up to test Jesus, has Jesus really been tested? I mean, to test Jesus, to see if Jesus really is the heretic everyone's saying, has Jesus been exposed at this point? Hey, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, you're the expert. How do you rank the commandments? Love God, love neighbor. Correct. Have you tested Jesus? No, Jesus has tested you, right? So the man wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? How far does love of neighbor go? Now, it was commonly taught that neighbor meant fellow Israelite. Fire up Leviticus 19. Right. It's a tight ship. Do not go about spreading slander among who? Your people, Israel. Do not do anything that endangers your what? So, Who's your neighbor in this verse? Your people, right? So your people and neighbor are used interchangeably. Or do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly. So neighbor and fellow Israelite became equated. Who's your neighbor? Fellow Israelite. All right, back to Luke. Jesus answers very famously, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Many of you know that was a 17-mile windy road that was narrow, so narrow at some points it was called the Road of Blood because it was so easy to ambush people. Jericho is where a lot of the rich lived back in the day. Jerusalem, obviously, is where the temple was. And so you'd have a lot of priestly traffic up and down that road that would have to hire protection or travel in groups because it was so dangerous. A man was going down from Jerusalem, which was far above sea level, to Jericho, which is 800 feet below sea level, when the man was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. 
Now, half dead is super important. Half dead means you could not tell whether the man was alive or dead. He wasn't, it, 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 half dead in, in literally means hovering between life and death. He had no identifying clothes, so you could not tell his ethnicity. And he was beaten to the point where he was almost dead, and you couldn't tell whether or not he was dead. That detail is so important for the punch of the story. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by the other side. Now, what's the, what's the traditional lesson here? Hey, the priest was too busy doing religious things. Guys, don't be too busy doing religious things to love your neighbor. That is not at all the point. Not even remotely the point. The priest, in obedience to the law, was commanded to not touch a dead body. And so the priest, not knowing whether the man was alive or dead, did the right thing. Leviticus 21, go! Yes! Speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, a priest must not make himself ceremonially unclean for any of his people who what? Except for a close relative, such as a brother or father or son or daughter, brother or an unmarried sister who's dependent on him. Since she has no husband for her, he may make himself unclean. He must not make himself unclean for people related to him by marriage and so defile himself. Next slide. He must not enter a place where there is a dead body. He must not make himself unclean. So it's not that the priest is too busy, it's the priest actually obeys God. God said, don't go near a dead body. So here's a guy half dead. The priest doesn't know he's half dead. The priest has no idea if the guy's dead or not. What's the priest's job? To avoid the dead body. And so he just walks right by. Not only that, but if the priest did come into contact with the body, the priest would have to go back up to Jerusalem and spend an entire week reducing a red heifer to ashes, which I know we've all done. I mean, you know how, what a pain that is. <laughs> and, and go through ritual bathings. I mean, it, was, it, would, it would be an incredible hassle. And because the priest was coming from Jerusalem, going to Jericho, most likely the priest had just completed his service at the temple and was carrying with him tithe in the form of food that he had to be ceremonially clean in order to eat. So his whole family was waiting for this influx of food. That So if he defiled himself, he was in disobedience. If he defiled himself, he had to go back and become clean again. And if he defiled himself, he couldn't eat the food he was trucking with him. So is the priest the bad guy? No. But remember, what's the debate? Which is more important, to be holy or to love your neighbor? Which did the priest choose to be holy. Ooh, a Levite, an assistant priest. Verse 32, so to a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him pass by on the other side. But then a Samaritan. Now, you remember Samaritans, right? Just a little, if you don't, just a little history. Good Samaritan would be like saying good Taliban pedophile. Good Nazi SS officer. I mean, pick the most disgusting, vile person you can imagine and put good in front of that. He's talking 
to a teacher of the law. The one group teachers of the law hated more than any other group were Samaritans. Do you know why? Because Samaritans taught that Israel's teachers were leading Israel astray. Samaritans believed they had their own temple on their own mountain, that that was the true temple and that was the true mountain. They, they, had, they accepted the first five books of the Old Testament, but they did not accept the priestly authority of the priests in Israel. They thought they were corrupt and they thought they were false. Samaritans were hated because they were considered half-breeds. They had intermarried with Gentiles, non-Jewish folks, who'd been imported from Babylon during the exile. And when the true Jews came back 70 years later and found that a bunch of the rabble had intermarried, they, they hated each other because they, weren't, they were mudbloods, to use the Harry Potter image, right? He just said Harry Potter. And then she said, Rob Bell, oh my goodness, what kind of a cult place is this? <laughs> so, Samaritans, in fact, we have records where some synagogues would have a petition praying that Samaritans would not have inheritance in the life to come. I mean, they, they were just hated. They were hated. They were ethnically offensive, religiously offensive. So when Jesus makes a Samaritan the hero of the story, it'd be like me preaching in front Black History Month, NAACP, and I'm going to make the good Ku Klux Klanmen the hero of a story I'm telling them. How's that going to go over? Right? I mean, that's insane. But this is what Jesus is doing. The priest and the Levite chose to be holy rather than to love their neighbor. Oh, man, Jesus, you gotta understand Jesus. This guy, they, you don't put to death somebody who's just non-threatening. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Jesus went after this stuff. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, Interesting, oil and wine were used by the priests and Levites in the temple. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn to take care of him. Now, brothers and sisters, here's the part that you don't see. A Samaritan man taking a half-dead Jewish person to Jewish territory to an inn. How risky is that? How risky is that? Huge risk. Huge. He put his life in danger. You have to understand this culturally to show neighborly love to this man. We think, oh, it's such a big deal. The guy paid for his hotel stay. No, no, no. No. When a Samaritan shows up with a half-dead Jewish man to a Jewish village. Now, he may, maybe he took him somewhere else, but I think the cultural tenor of the story is that on the way between Jericho and Jerusalem, you're not gonna go to Samaria from there. You're gonna go to a, a Jewish settlement. The next day he took out two denarii, two days pay, gave them to the innkeeper, look after him, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. And then Jesus looks at the teacher of the law who hates Samaritans more than anybody else. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who was robbed? 
Oh, the expert in the law replied. Now notice, Jesus gave the man easy handles, the priest, the Levite, the Samaritan. But what's the teacher of the law say? The one who had mercy, can't even say the Samaritan. The one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus, just in his judo way, Go and do likewise. Imitate the Samaritan. Who's my neighbor? So just think about the story. Hey, Jesus, how do I inherit life in the age to come? Well, how do you read the commandments? Well, love God, love neighbor. Correct. Over against, love God, be holy. Jesus, who's my neighbor? Let me tell you a story about what it looked like to chose to choose holiness over neighbor love. And I'll make the hero, the one who shows neighbor love, I'll make the hero the person you hate the most. So who's your neighbor? Your neighbor is the person you love least. That's how far love your neighbor goes. In other words, it never, ever stops. Now here's where this confronts me. If I have to choose between being holy and showing neighbor love, it's the choice Jesus might encourage us to make. If I have to choose between being self-protective, and I'm not talking about not protecting other people, I'm talking about just me, not being self-protective, or showing neighbor love, which would Jesus have me do? I mean, it's pretty clear, right? What does it mean to love your neighbor? Well, it means to love your enemy and to be willing to sacrifice your security and your finances in order to make that happen. No, 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 listen to me, listen to me. I hear, I hear all, I hear it all. I hear all the comebacks, and I agree. My wife, she ever picks up a homeless guy again, I mean, I'm like, ah, ugh. Because there's dumb, right? And I don't think Jesus is calling us to be dumb. I don't know. I don't know. That was for her. She's not here. <laughs> Thankfully. But she even asked me, she's like, how can you be mad at me? How can you be mad at me? Isn't this what we're supposed to be doing? Won't Jesus protect me? And I'm going, ah. Uh, yes. I mean, but do you see the tension, right? So I really wrestle with this text all week because I'm, I am a person who loves to love people who are just like me. And Jesus says this so clearly. He's like, what credit is it to you, my followers, if you love people that are just like you? Even tax collectors do that. I tell you, love your enemy. Oh. Least obeyed command in the scriptures, right? So how do we carry ourselves in this whole conversation? And again, I'm not talking policy, because I don't know the right answer. I talked to a, a very gracious immigration lawyer who had been up at LA doing work, and I'm like, can you just help me? There's so much hype and hysteria what is this? And one of the most powerful things she said was, 
when she watched Muslim women with their children who were weeping because there were protesters protesting on their behalf. It's like, ooh, that's interesting. What can the church do? Well, I think we can model neighbor love. And you may say, ah, the protests. And again, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to be so careful here because I, I really don't want to politicize it. That's the problem, is it's become so politicized we just miss the straight, clear, beautiful heart of Jesus in this. And we nuance it. And so for me, where I go is two thoughts. One is, I always value protection and preservation over neighbor love. And God is confronting the heck out of me on that. I have kids, I have a wife, it's my job. Man, I don't know where to, I don't know where to go with that other than confession, just saying, God. Because my wife asked me, she's like, okay, would you, would you be willing to house some refugees? My first question was, well, for how long? Because <laughs> we have a Seth. But, but then again, you see what I do. I qualify it, I dance around it. Oh, so confronted. So literally, I don't even know how to end this teaching other than I fall so short of this. I just do. I have so far to go in this. But shouldn't we be the community that leads with this more than anything else? I mean, shouldn't we be known for this stuff? Now, again, I get the policy. I get it, whether you agree with it or not. I get it. Please don't make this about a political issue. I'm not making it about a political issue. I'm just saying, if there should be one community in the United States of America who is going to be a constant pressure, exerting constant pressure in every direction to demonstrate the heart of God towards people who are oppressed and marginalized, it should be this community, Correct? Now that doesn't start, see, I can, when we make it about politics, it lets us individually off the hook. So how do you treat the woman with the scarf when you walk by her? How do you treat, I mean, if Jesus were telling the Good Samaritan story to you, who would he insert instead of Samaritan? That's the question. The good homosexual, the good Muslim, the good Democrat, the good Donald Trump, who would he use for you? See, this is where we start working, right? It's easy to talk about the national issues, but what about us? So I don't know where this goes, I just know I need to go to the table, and I need to be reminded that I was a foreigner too. I needed to be reminded that at some point I was an exile. At some point I was a refugee. At some point I didn't belong. And that Jesus makes and forms a transnational community where those designations don't matter anymore. And if we're going to make a mistake, it seems to me the church should be the, the place where the mistake is made on neighbor love, not on holiness, not on preservation. I don't know where that goes or what that does. It's just what God's doing in me. So, we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper. Oh, the questions next week should be good. I'm gonna avoid it, and uh, Andy will answer those. It'll be fantastic. So here's what we're gonna do. You see these, you see these little uh, 
new age little plates up we got up here? You see these? No, I'm kidding. I, so what we decided to do is we want to do prayer a bit differently. Um, as always, we have the communion elements that are up here, and gluten-free, of course, is back there. And, um, and we're going to have people who hand the elements to you. Uh, but what we've been doing is we've had prayer people just kind of available to pray for people, and some of you have taken advantage of that, but I think there are a lot of folks that don't really wanna walk up in front of everybody and be prayed for. So these are little prayer stations where, if you'll notice, there's a bit of paper and a writing utensil, and what you can do is take the paper and write down something you'd love to be prayed for, for, roll that thing up and put it in one of those little holes, and our prayer team will gather them and be praying. We will also have prayer folks, for those of you that are fans of like the real time sort of prayer, they'll be back in this alcove under the exit sign over here, okay? But everywhere else, we'll have people handing out communion and then they will go. We'll have two stay there. And then if you would like prayer for something and, and just don't want to uh, be up in front of everybody, totally understood, but we'd still wanna pray for you. And so take, uh, take a bit of paper, roll it up. And our, um, our inspiration of this, I was in Israel a couple of years ago, and that's what you do at the Western Wall. It's the most beautiful thing. You take bits of paper and you stick into these crevices. And we tried to get some of the wall flown out here, but they said no. So this is our, this is our next best effort. So as always, if you want to participate financially, uh, participation boxes are around the room. What? Did someone say something? Or is it just the echo of my clap? All right. Or I'm hearing voices. All right. So let me pray. Let me pray. And then we will take uh, the Lord's Supper together. Lord Father, bless you that you sought us out, that you have relentlessly pursued us, that you, knowing the truth about us, have stopped at nothing to rescue and to deliver And mighty God, we come to the table and we're reminded that none of us have earned a place, none of us deserve a place, none of us come on the basis of our own merit, our own religious performance. God, this is the great leveler. There's nobody that's walking in here with a perfectly clean slate. There's nobody walking in here without a checkered past. God, thank you that you open up the doors, that you've made room at your table. And Father, for me, just for me, I just confess so often the way that I limit neighbor love, so often the way that I choose comfort or convenience or protection or whatever it is over the radical countercultural love that you have shown us. And Father, I pray that you would work in me and in our community to become a people who are known for this. Help us to navigate the political waters Help us to navigate the disagreements around the dining room tables or on Facebook. Help us to navigate and to be peacemakers with opinions. Help us to walk in a manner worthy. And God, may this filter down into the depths of our hearts. So we love you now and we bless you in the name of our Christ, amen. If you want to find out more about us, voxoc.com, a new to Vox dinner coming up. A Mexican fiesta is in the works. Table fellowships are coming. So uh, we got stuff cooking. But man, it is so, such a joy to be together. Um, Seriously, I look forward to this every week, except when I'm not here. Um, And uh, then I think of you. We did a Spartan race uh, last week. That's where we were. And um, 
And I finished it with the help of a couple of men who lifted me over an 11-foot wall. So that was, uh, that was humbling. So May, <laughs> don't picture, don't picture that. That was, that was tough. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and may he in these days give you peace. Amen, brothers and sisters, and amen. Say hello to somebody on your way out. Bless you. Have a great week. Go whatever team or go commercials, whatever you're a fan of. (laughs) Thank you. Hold on. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.